1: Have you ever wondered why after doing your very best as a parent, your kids often choose to go down the wrong path? (laughs) Well, don't be discouraged. God was the perfect parent and had the same problem with his children, Adam and Eve. Listening today as Pastor Rander explains this phenomena in this message, The Temptation and Fall of Man. He'll be teaching from a number of scriptures, so get pen and paper ready as we begin. Good
2: morning. God bless you. Uh, We have preached Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, now we're in Genesis chapter 3. Um, This uh, book is a very unique book because Genesis gives us our origins, uh, the creation order, how things came into being. And we talked about the the creation of uh, the, the world, and we talked about the creation of animal life, we talked about the creation of man, woman, and marriage. Now we are going to go into Genesis chapter 3, and we'll, uh, we'll preach verses 1 through 9. We won't finish this. We'll just continue next time. Genesis 3, 1 through 9, the word of God reads, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse four, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And from this particular passage, we want to preach the temptation and fall of man. The temptation and fall of man. Adam and Eve had a perfect parent with God as their father. God's children were perfect in that they were made in the image and likeness of God. Adam and Eve did not have a flaw. They did not have a blemish and they had not sinned. They were totally innocent. They had an incredible relationship With God, they had an incredible fellowship with God, they had wonderful communion with God, they were placed in an indescribable perfect garden to live and enjoy and have dominion over the earth. Adam and Eve only knew peace in the garden, they only knew harmony in the garden, they only knew they had total blissful satisfaction in the garden total unhindered love in the garden, joy, delight in the garden, total fulfillment in the garden of Eden. Indeed, the garden of Eden was paradise. And yet when tempted by sin, they yielded and fell into sin. Say the word sin. Say sin again. Sin is a rare word today. You know, you hear people mentioning the word sin, that little three-letter word, S-I-N, sin. Now, the world and many saints have covered the word up with modern-day non-offensive terms. Let me, let me share what I'm talking about. Adultery is now called affair. See, they soften the knowledge, soften the terminology so that you can just fall into it. Homosexuals are called gay or living the alternative lifestyle. Fornication is called permiscurity. Now, isn't that cute? Prostitutes are called call girls and escorts. That sounds nice. Murder is called pro-choice. It's not murder, so you can commit abortion, and do it because it's pro-choice. You're not using the word murder. Gambling, instead of saying you shall not gamble, gambling is called lotteria. You know, if it's lotteria, I can gamble when it's lotteria. And witchcraft is called Psychics. Sin has been watered down to the point that it has been modernized. Sin has been glamorized. Sin has been rationalized away. As a matter of fact, sin is in. It's in, y'all. We live in a day where sin is actually fashionable. That's right. It's to sin. Folks sin oblately. They sin cutely. They sin rebelliously. They sin not caring less about the fact that they sin. Sin drives A tremendous wedge between you and God, and there is nothing cute about sin. It devastates the family, and it drives a wedge between the races. As a matter of fact, sin is so dangerous, deadly, and disastrous that Jesus came to save the peoples from their sins by dying on the cross. He was hung up for our sins. He was buried according to the scripture. But early Sunday morning, he rose in resurrection power from the grave. Why don't you say amen? What is sin? We need to deal with it. Because sin is everywhere. The church is weak, anemic because of sin. Mothers and fathers are sinning. Children are sinning. Politicians are sinning. Hollywood is sinning. Teachers in school are sinning. Priests in Catholic churches are sinning. Sin everywhere. What is sin? Sin in the Greek is it 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 is defined as missing the mark. It is missing the mark. It, uh, sin is falling short of the glory of God. It is a missing of the mark. It is falling short of the glory of God. You know what sin is? I want I want you to be I want to be absolutely clear so you don't miss what sin is. Sin is not just missing the mark, it is not just falling short of the glory of God. Sin is outright lawlessness. Sin is a violation of the law of God. It is a violation of the law of God. You know what sin is? It is a complete disregard of God's divine law. A complete disregard for God's divine law. You know what sin is? All unrighteousness is sin. And and I've just given you really biblical definitions. You say, show me, okay? First John 3, 4 says, whoever commits sin also commits, there it is, lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. I want you to be absolutely clear as to what sin is. First John five seventeen a says, all unrighteousness is sin. Well, it will allow me to transition. Who has sinned? Who have sinned? All have sinned. You say, me? Yes, you. Uh, You have sinned. I have sinned. Your mama sinned. Your daddy sinned. You say, "Uh, uh, how did I get this? Why do I sin? Well, you inherited from your mom and daddy, and from their mom and daddy, their mom and daddy, their mom and daddy, their mom and daddy, all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve failed, the human race failed in Adam and Eve. All have sinned. I don't care how pretty, cute you can take all kind of pictures. And say, oh, my baby's so cute. Let me tell you something. That's a little boy sinner. That's a little baby girl sinner. And you and, and you don't have to teach your child to sin, but you will have to teach them righteousness. You don't have to teach your child to be selfish. Uh, They're born that way with their little fist cliched. You gotta pry that little thing open. I mean. Uh, they come in with their own mind and saying no, and want to hit, and want to bite, and want to rebel against you. You know how they got, where did they get that from? They got it from the mama and the daddy. Where did you get it from? Your parents, your parents, your parents, your parents, your parents, all the way back to Adam and Eve. We all have that inherited Adamic nature in, uh, from our four parents, uh, Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden.
1: Every Christian needs to know that Satan's primary objective is to destroy the kingdom of God. He uses lies, misdirection, and temptation to accomplish this goal today and has done so since the dawn of time. Join us today as Pastor Rander continues to teach regarding this issue in this message, The Temptation and Fall of Man. He'll be speaking from a number of scriptures, so get pen and paper ready as we begin.
2: Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden, so all have sinned. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, in case you think you are, the scripture says, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin. Death came as a result of what? Sin and thus sin, what? Spread to all men because all sin. In 1 Corinthians 15.22, it says, For as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ, it all shall be made alive. So all of us have sinned and we see the origin of it right here in Genesis chapter three. Y'all hanging with me? Let's look at verse one now in the text. Genesis three, one. Let's just peruse the text. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. In other words, Satan, whose name means adversary, Satan's name means adversary. He was kicked out of heaven because of rebellion against God. And he is now in the garden of Eden, disguised and clothed as a serpent. Satan, who was Lucifer in heaven, but now Satan, he he was a beautiful creature in his uncursed state before he was cursed to the ground because of uh, enticing um, uh, uh, Eve to sin and Adam, which he rebelliously, openly sinned against God. Satan's question, has God indeed said had an evil motive and intent which was designed to get Eve to doubt the validity of God's word. You see that? Underline that. Hath God indeed said what he was doing? He was prompting Eve. He had an evil motive intent, which was designed to get Eve to doubt the validity of God's word and to lead her into believing that God was not fair to restrict her from eating of the forbidden tree. Well, you might say, well, why was the forbidden tree there anyway? Well, God put it there. Why did he put it there? Because he wanted to. It's his d- divine prerogative to do whatever he wants to do. You see? So they were in this perfect garden. And uh, here Satan is enticing Eve. And I want to say this point Satan is always near, lurking around to oppose the work of God and to wreak havoc in the lives of God's children. He's always near, he's near your marriage. No matter how long you've been married, Satan wants to destroy your marriage and take it out. He's near your children. He's waiting on a moment's notice to wipe your children out. That's why you have to lay hand, pray, and be a covering over them. He's near this ministry of the church. He's always lurking around within the membership to wreak havoc and to, to pounce on an unsuspecting prey to his advantage. It doesn't matter how great you think you are as a Christian. Listen to me closely. Doesn't matter how strong you think you are. Doesn't matter how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter how much of a praying man or woman of God you are. be it known to you today, you can't be so strong, so well-versed in the scripture to the point that you foolproof your life that Satan can't get in it. Is you what I said? I said a big thought. <laughs> doesn't matter how. Listen does not matter how hard I preach, how hard I teach, we can set up all kind of ministries and we can do, we can focus on evangelism and prayer and revival and discipleship and all of that stuff. But listen, at my best effort, I cannot foolproof this ministry to the extent that Satan can't tamper with this ministry. This ministry is not tamper proof. You say, how do you know that? Well, I know it from the scriptures. Satan got in Jesus' ministry. Now who are we to think that he came by the Maranafa? Huh? Huh? Jesus had twelve disciples and one of them was a de- was was a devil. We have almost sixteen hundred members here. There's a whole lot of devils here. <laughs> They're, they're lurking around, and, they're, and, and Satan is using. He works through human agency, and he's waiting, and he's crafty, and he's subtle, and he's waiting for that moment when he can take advantage of the church and people and send them down a wrong rabbit trail to wreak havoc in the lowest church. That's right. Have passion about the wrong thing. He's always near. Let me just show you how near he is. If you can find it fast enough, uh, many of you may not be able to. It's an Old Testament book, Old Testament book, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. There's a powerful verse there in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and look here and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Let me tell you something. Satan is just near me to to oppose me. He's he's right near. He's closer than you think. And he's not your friend. Okay, He's, He's wanting to wipe you out. He hates your children. He hates your posterity. He hates you. And his, he is plotting and planning, even as you are trying to learn and grow here, as you are planning to grow spiritually, he's already strategizing as to how he can get his best and do his best work on you. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be diligent, be watchful, because your adversary, as Satan the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour the devil is waiting at any moment using any given opportunity to exploit you to take advantage of you to wipe you out physically spiritually emotionally financially and every otherwise beloved we are destined for defeat we're destined for disaster and destruction if we allow satan to deceive us into doubting what God has said. He approached Eve and she, and she knew what she was not supposed to do. And so he said, has, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? He didn't mean that. You, you, you misunderstood God. Has God indeed said? And he was attempting to get her to doubt the authority and the validity of the word of God. He was putting seeds of doubt in her mind. Look at verses 2 and 3. Y'all hanging with me? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Eve was very much aware of God's instructions to Adam Not to eat or touch the forbidden tree because she was able to restate God. She was able to restate God's prohibition not to partake of that tree. She was able to restate that to Satan. So she knew perhaps Adam or even God himself may have instructed Eve for her own protection not to partake of the tree. Note that Adam was not around when Satan sought to beguile and take advantage of Eve. Uh, Adam was not around when she was tempted by the enemy. Uh, She was was away from the protective covering and care of her husband. Now, Maybe it was the husband's fault for not uh, keeping her close by. Or maybe she just wandered off and he he wasn't sure she was around. I don't know why she was away from him but she was away from the protective care and oversight and headship of her husband, and Satan exploited her being away from her covering. I want to say something here, my friends. We will not have victory over the subtleties and craftiness of Satan unless we hear and obey the voice of God, unless we have intimacy with with God uh, and live in wisdom, live in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. If you want a victory in your life over Satan, it is critically important that you obey the voice of God, have intimacy with the Savior, and live in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 3b. Look look at verse 3. "You You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And Genesis 2, 16, 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let me tell you something. Listening to the voice of Satan caused the human race to plunge into sin because of Adam and Eve's inability to trust and obey the word of God. Because of their inability to trust and obey the word of God, the human race fell into sin because of their disobedience. So, with that being said, why does God God set boundaries for our lives? Okay, there was a tree in the garden, right? And then God says, don't mess with the tree. Huh? Is that clear? Okay, Uh, don't partake of the tree, don't Mess with it, leave it, you can have everything else in the garden, but that one tree in the middle of the garden, don't mess with it. So what do you have there? A restriction. You have boundaries. So my question I pose to you today is, why does God set boundaries in our lives? Number one, God provides boundaries so that he will be glorified through our obedience. God provides boundaries so that he will be glorified through our obedience. God did not have to put that tree there in the first place. He did so. It was his divine prerogative. Amen. But and, and then with that, God gave us freedom of choice. He gave us free volition. And when we obey God and choose to do What God tells us to do, and what God forbids us to do, we don't do it. Guess what? You are honoring God and you're choosing to love God. He wants you to choose to obey Him, He wants you to choose to love Him. And so, God provides boundaries so that He will be glorified through our obedience. There are people in our lives that hate boundaries. There are people that don't like it. They don't like standards. They don't like rules. They don't like restrictions. But there are boundaries. And uh, you you have to teach your children about boundaries. Husbands and wives need to have boundaries. You know, uh, there are certain things you ought not be doing with the opposite sex. And so you, 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 you set boundaries so you won't be entrapped. You know, you won't find yourself... Uh, set up by a woman, because you've got a man, because you've got boundaries, huh? You, you won't go out to lunch with the opposite sex while your wife is on a business trip, because you've got what? Boundaries. Uh-oh. Huh? Huh? Now, some of y'all don't like boundaries, but you know, if you go, uh, uh, if, if you, uh, I don't like that stop sign. I'm going to run it. Woo, woo, woo. Here comes a ticket, $200 ticket, so that you can learn your boundaries. All right? And then if you go to jail, there are boundaries. They check you in, whoo, fingerprint you, make you, those mug shots are some kind of ugly. They strip you down. They check you out, and I'm not going into the details. Y'all know what I'm talking They check you out from head to toe, whether you like it or not. So they put these boundaries on you. You even shower in front of people because you couldn't respect boundaries. The sooner you have some boundaries and some restraints in your life, the better off you're going to be as a Christian. Are y'all listening to me? Number two, why does God set boundaries in our lives? Without boundaries, we cannot serve God to the maximum of our potential. Without boundaries, we cannot serve God to the maximum of our potential. In other words, we live, we limit what God desires to do through you and me when we refuse to allow God's word to establish boundaries, our boundaries in life. When, when you read the word, and govern yourself by the word, you allow the word of God to set perimeters around your life. And when you live within those perimeters, guess what? God maximizes himself through you.
1: The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.
2: Pastor Rander reminds us that God hates sin and what his word tells us about sin. And because of his goodness, grace and mercy God forgives us when we sincerely repent and confess our sins. If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching or would like to hear this message in its entirety, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church located
1: in Converse, Texas.